0: Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com. The Radio Plus mobile app and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks are edging higher as investors weigh the jobs data and rate bets. This update is brought to you by ETF Exchange 16, BNY Mellon's annual ETF symposium, September 19th to the 21st in Dana Point, California. This essential conference is complimentary for RIAs, but space is limited. Register now at bnymelon.com slash ETF. Stocks higher, SP 500 index up seven on this jobs Friday to 2178, a gain there of three tenths of 1%. NASDAQ also climbing by three tenths of 1%. The Dow also up by that amount. The S&P 500 index, as we mentioned, up seven. Nasdaq up 15 to 5242. Dow Industrials up 50 to 18,469. The ten-year down nine thirty seconds. The yield 1.60%. Gold up 1080 the ounce, higher by eight tenths of one percent. West Texas Intermediate crude 44.34 barrel right now, up 2.7%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio.
1: I'm Kathleen Hayes broadcasting live at the 2016 US Tennis Open here in Flushing Meadows Corona Park, Queens. My co-host Pim Fox is on vacation. He'll be back in the office and on the show on Tuesday. Filling in for him today, well actually, he's a very special guest here at the Open every year on Bloomberg Radio, Alan Krueger. He's the Bentham Professor of Economics and Public Affairs at Princeton University's former head of the Council of Economic Advisors, and he's also an avid tennis fan. Alan, it's always great to have you here.
2: You have the coolest job.
1: Tell me about it.
2: You get to come here every year. <laughs>
1: every year, my friend, and watch a ton of tennis. You know, there we're going to talk about jobs. And there are, you know, jobs created here at the Open for two weeks, right? Because they do do a lot of hiring and to put on this event that is just so complicated, has so many moving parts, but, you know, come in and come out.
2: It's a great sports event. In some respects, I guess the U.S. economy is going in that direction in that we have more and more workers who are working as contract workers and freelancers. Uh, doing short-term jobs.
1: Now, Alan, that's a good question to, to, to look at, because we got the jobs report today, 151,000. Um, you know, Loretta Mester, President of Cleveland, Cleveland Fed went out of her way, I think, to point out you only need 75 to 150,000 jobs to keep the unemployment rate steady, if not moving lower. So so we get that. But this, this move from part-time to uh, full-time is what a lot of people still aspire to, don't you think? Or, or are we really in such a gig economy now?
2: Well, over the last decade, we've had uh, very fast growth in independent contract work, freelancers, workers being contracted out. And for some workers, that's a better situation. They have more control over their hours, more flexibility. For companies, it could be more efficient, more productive. Uh, Yet for others, they prefer to have a traditional job. So I think it's a very heterogeneous sector. Um, We're also seeing over the last few years very rapid growth in on-demand work. Uber-type jobs, TaskRabbit, they still only represent about half a percent of the workforce. We don't do a very good job capturing them in the statistics that came out this morning. Uh, fortunately, they're still small, so it's not really distorting our picture of how the economy is doing. But over time, it's going to be a much bigger concern.
1: Now, what about the the, the momentum in the economy? Yesterday, we got the Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing report. It fell back below 50. Uh, the consumer has been just about the only consistent driver of growth this year. GDP year-over-year year on average, the last three quarters is something around 1%. Maybe it's going to bounce up to 3%. What it, When you look at the jobs numbers, when you look at all these different factors, how does it look to you?
2: Things look okay to me. Uh, I think we're going to grow about 2% this year. Uh, having the consumer power the recovery, I think that's actually very helpful. Consumers account for 70% of the U.S. economy. So uh, seeing households in a stronger position with higher income with uh, lower gasoline prices. I think that should support the economy. I think there's still room for housing to expand. So this recovery is not going to be the strongest one on record, but it could well be the longest, and I think that's what we should be rooting for.
1: Okay, uh, and I guess, but the question is, the longest on record, do you need to start raising interest rates? You and I were both... Uh, attendees at the Jackson Hole, the Kansas City Fed Symposium in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. In fact, uh, just a week ago, we were sitting listening to some very, very big papers. We were listening to Janet Yellen say the case for a rate hike has strengthened, which seems very broad. That doesn't incline you to any direction. In two separate interviews now, first in Jackson Hole and then on Bloomberg Television this week, Stan Fisher, the vice chair, seems to really be trying to push in the direction of, hey, at least one interest rate increase this year. Do you get a sense that perhaps that uh, the vice chair is trying to lead the chair toward the rate hike that he thinks is so necessary?
2: It is a committee, and members of the committee can have different views. Uh, My own view is that the Fed uh, should move slowly to raise rates. I think one rate hike uh, later this year would be appropriate. Uh, You have to bear in mind, even if rates go up another 25 basis points, we're still going to have very accommodative monetary policy. Uh, I think what the Fed wants to do and should do is avoid a situation where it has to ratchet up rates very quickly. So if they move up one rate hike this year to next year, I think that's moving at a pace that's slow enough that they're going, uh, if the recovery continues, as I, as I expect it would, uh, I think they'll be in a better position so that they don't have to yank up rates very quickly and pull the rug out of the recovery.
1: I'm speaking with Alan Kruger, professor of economics and public affairs at Princeton University, former head of the Council of Economic Advisors in the Obama administration. And we're live at the U.S. Open in Queens, New York. Alan, productivity. We also got numbers this week which showed that productivity is just lagging and sagging every which way it can. Businesses, that's a big question. Why are they so uncertain? Why won't they commit to long longer-term projects. Some people blame very low interest rates as, as, as part of that. Borrowing costs are low, but people look out over the horizon and they're uncertain because they figure this situation has to change. What's hurting our productivity so much?
2: That's an excellent question. And I don't think there's a compelling answer, to be honest. Uh, I think there is a lot of uncertainty out there. I think some of it's coming from the presidential election. I mean, we have a candidate who said he'd like to renegotiate the U.S. debt. So... It's possible if Donald Trump uh, wins, we're going to have quite dramatic change in economic policy. In my view, not for the better. Uh, also, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world economy. Uh, I think that's probably more important than Federal Reserve policy. And, in fact, the low interest rates should facilitate investment.
1: So this you just hit on one of the big themes from everybody who speaks from the Federal Reserve lately? And it seems to be people are trying to get the message across. If you're a central banker in almost any country, that monetary policy only has so much power at this point. When you're when you've been at zero rates or lower for so long, and now governments have to step up. Legislators have to agree on steps because if we're going to move ahead, we need we need some sort of fiscal push, some kind of government spending. Do you agree with that?
2: I think it's been that way for a while. Uh, I think the U.S. Congress should have done much more uh, a few years ago in terms of investing more in infrastructure, helping the long-term unemployed get back on their feet. Uh, There's only so much that monetary policy can do. I think making investments in research and development and in infrastructure will raise our competitiveness and productivity in the future, especially given the low rates today. It makes a lot of sense.
1: Well, Alan, you've done so much research in depth from your, your research from all the people you've worked with, when you think of the – you said invest in infrastructure. Be, can you give us something specific, an idea maybe people have not looked at closely or something that has been tried that you see as an example of something that can be productivity-boosting, job-boosting?
2: Well, just maintaining our existing infrastructure, uh, repairing our roads and bridges and highways has a very high return. Uh, so I know people are worried about shovel-ready and so on. Uh, But we have all of this infrastructure out there that's in disrepair. Think about how many potholes you run over, the pothole tax. I know I've paid uh, (laughs) quite a bit this year to to have my car repaired because of uh, roads that are dysfunctional. Uh, So that's an easy thing to do. And also would put a lot of construction workers back to work. There's some other things which are also pretty easy. We had during the Recovery Act something called Build America Bonds. Build America Bonds were taxable municipal bonds. They're a much fairer, much more democratic form of investment because moderate-income people, lower-income people benefit from having Build America Bonds in their portfolios. Uh, So we could bring back Build America Bonds.
1: Okay, so we are at the U.S. Open, and you come out here every year. So, um, Jack Sock, an American Having a pretty good match with uh, Sillet today. Uh, who are you rooting for or who are you betting on in the, on the men's side?
2: Well, it's hard not to bet against Murray and Djokovic, uh, but it is nice to see Americans doing well. I was watching Ryan Harrison and I actually left during a tie break to come here Ooh. to join you, so I'm glad you got to tennis. Um, and it is nice to see so many young Americans doing well.
1: How about uh, on the women's side?
2: Uh, on the women's side, of course, it's hard to bet against, uh, against Serena. Um, I watched uh, a match earlier today, Savetsova, who had upset Muguruza, and it was uh, very exciting. She lost the first three games and then came storming back. Uh, so it'll be interesting for me to see how far she can go.
1: Uh, in terms of uh, tennis broadly, uh, what could you tell people who've never been tennis fans? that what, what draws you to it? Why are you so addicted to tennis
2: watching Well, this is a great event. You see the best athletes in the world playing tennis. You can watch them up close during the first week in the outer courts. Uh, I sat right behind Savetsova's coach and two friends who went to high school with her. So uh, it's an easy event to go to. There are plenty of seats, uh, especially the the, the early rounds. And it's just a great spirit out here.
1: I agree. And it helps that people like you join us every year.
2: I'm happy to come back.
1: I know. Alan Krueger, thanks. And he's not working for the U.S. Tennis Association, by the way. Those are sincere comments, and I couldn't agree with you more. Alan Krueger, Ben Dine Professor of Economics and Public Affairs at Princeton University. He's also former head of the Council of Economic Advisors. Again, Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Coming up, we're going to be taking a look at Dave Wilson, our Stocks Editor, Chart of the Day. I'm Kathleen Hayes, and this is Bloomberg.